Bless God. Hallelujah. It is such a privilege and an honor just to be with you all one more time, uh, just to be able, hallelujah, to uh, share the word of God with all of you wonderful people. Um, truly, God has been faithful to us. I've just been enjoying the service uh, thus far, just from the worship, hallelujah. Bless the Lord from even just the word that our pastor just shared with us. Truly, I'm so um, blessed and, and honored today to share the word. And, and I just want each one of us just to keep our hearts and ears open to receive the word of the Lord as he would speak to us this morning. Hallelujah. Um, I, 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 I would like for us all just to have a heart of anticipation, to anticipate that God is going to do something spectacular. Uh, every time, uh, many times when Jesus healed a person, he would tell them it was your faith that has made you well. And so today it's your faith, hallelujah, that will connect with God's word and will cause there to be a difference. Bless the Lord. And so we're just going to um, go into the word of God. Before we do, I just want to greet my pastor, uh, his family, greet all of the uh, wonderful ministry team I want to uh, greet also all the brethren the saints at faith deliverance and especially our visiting friends i welcome you in the name of jesus christ if we can uh, turn our bibles or scroll on our phones uh, for those who have it on their phones and devices to romans chapter 8 and we'll read a few verses there We'll start at verse 28. The Bible says, and we know, and uh, this is New Living Translation, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuses us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us. And was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. Pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are persecuted or hungry? Or destitute or in danger? Or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. 
We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul says in verse 37, no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And just for a few moments today, I would like to speak from the topic, rejected, but loved. How many have faced rejection in their life? Can you recall a time that you've been rejected? Is there a time or times that you have felt the wound of rejection? Have felt that you were not wanted? Felt that you were not good enough? Felt that you didn't quite fit in? because you were rejected? Well, this is an experience that many have faced, feeling rejected. And the thing about rejection is, oftentimes it starts from a young age. Sometimes it can even start from the womb. I know of people who have been rejected before they were even born because of the conditions by which they were conceived. And that wound of rejection has inflicted that child and they grow with that wound continuously being reopened. And if you answered yes to that question, if you have felt rejection, then there's a word of God for you today. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and on the sixth day he created uh, man, it tells us that God gave man authority and dominion to rule and to have uh, rulership over this sphere, over the entire earth. It tells us that Adam and Eve were given the power and the authority to uh, execute laws in the earth. They were the ones that gave names to the various creatures that were on earth. The Bible tells us that God spoke exclusively with Adam and with Eve, and he told them, now everything I've given to you freely, and everything that I've put into your hands, I want you to understand that now you are in charge of it. You are stewards. Now I'm putting it in your care and in your trust. As long as you follow and keep my commands, as long as you uh, hold what I've given to you and walk in the obedience that I've called you to walk in, everything will be just fine. 
The scripture tells us that Adam and Eve were told one thing. And that one thing was, do not eat from the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve were doing well until the day they met the serpent. And the scripture explains to us that the serpent was able to deceive Eve. And after deceiving her, she took a bite from that forbidden fruit. Many of us know this story and have heard it. But after she ate the fruit, she shared it with her husband and they both uh, enjoyed the fruit for a season, for a moment. They enjoyed the, 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 the tastiness of that fruit. And as they were chewing into it and enjoying it, I can just imagine them looking at each other and, and just indulging and smiles on their faces and excited just about this fruit that they have eaten how tasty it was, how delicious it was, but also the mere fact that they truly believed what the, the devil had told them, that they would be like gods, that they would be able to have more power than they already had. can see them excited with that belief that they would be so much better than they already were. I can see them excited of the, the wisdom that they thought this fruit would give to them. But as they began to eat, and as they continued chewing on the fruit, the scripture says that something happened. The Bible says that their eyes were opened. If we can just look there for a moment at Genesis chapter 3. And read a couple verses. Verse, verse number seven, and it says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breeze, breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. We see from this story the devastation that took place in the Garden of Eden, in this place that was meant to be a place of pleasure. That word Eden means pleasure. A place where man would enjoy life, would be able to Enjoy not only just the trees and the various fruits in the garden, but also the fellowship and the presence of God. We see that with one bite, 
with one act of disobedience, with one sin, the entire race of humanity was plunged into complete chaos and darkness. When Adam ate the fruit, when he disobeyed, the Bible tells us that no one told him that he was naked. He looked at himself and recognized that he was naked. And the first thing that came was shame. He was ashamed to look at himself who was created perfect in the sight of God. And now when he looks at his nakedness, he sees imperfections. He sees flaws. And so as he's looking to him, looking at himself, he begins to, 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 to try and cover himself, to cover that shame. The first thing, this first impulse was to cover up. And so he goes after these fig leaves. He finds some trees and takes those leaves and covers himself. And while he's covering himself, the Bible tells us that then he hides amongst the trees. So he's covered and he's hiding. The Bible says that during this time, he was afraid. And as God comes looking for Adam, Adam is trying his very best not to make a sound. Maybe if I'm still enough, if I'm quiet enough, he won't find me. But Adam, why are you hiding? Well, I'm hiding because I'm afraid that God is going to punish me. If he sees me in this condition, he's going to recognize that I've sinned against him. And so what Adam is now exposed to is rejection. He feels that God is going to reject him. And that happens because he's rejected his own self. By the time he looks at himself, he is now rejecting his own image. He's rejecting what he has become because it doesn't look like who he was before. And he recognizes that now that perfection that he once had is gone. And now he rejects this imperfection. And the Bible tells us that from that rejection, Adam withdraws. And the thing about rejection, it it will cause us to withdraw even from those who can help us most. And now the very God that gave him life, that breathed the breath into his body, that gave him the ability to do everything that he can do, is the very God that Adam has hidden himself from. Have you ever felt that way? The wound of rejection so deep that you just feel like hiding. You feel like covering yourself up So that no one else can see. That wound of rejection speaks into your soul. It tells you you're not good enough. It tells you you're not wanted. This is how Adam felt that day when death came into the world. And so Adam is now faced with a great dilemma. He's standing before a God who he no longer knows who he can no longer uh, figure out. He, He no longer can predict what God is going to do. Before, he would meet with God daily. He would speak to him. He knew that God would show up. He knew that God would be there for him. He knew that God would always have his back. In fact, God brought the animals to Adam and watched Adam name the animals, and God nodded his head in approval, saying, yes, 
That's exactly as I would have it. And so now that he's out of harmony with God, now that sin has brought that rejection, the next thing that that rejection now produces is separation. And it separates Adam from God. And because he's separated, now he just can't figure out what is God going to do. And so that fear of punishment, that fear of further rejection now pushes Adam into isolation. He now hides. And God has to come searching for him. God is calling his name. Adam, where are you? He's looking. He's searching diligently. Because he wants to have the same fellowship. He wants to have the same type of relationship. That relationship where they could talk and communicate with each other. And there would be a blessing. But now God is searching but can't hear Adam. And so Adam now, when he recognizes the voice is too close for comfort, when he recognizes that, that with one more step, he's going to find me, Adam steps out and says, I'm here. I was hiding. And the problem with rejection is that it will cause us to hide in the place of deliverance. It will cause us to hide at the very place where God has set up the provision of our healing. And so Adam is there and God begins to speak to him. And in Adam's mind, I can just imagine he's just thinking the absolute worst because rejection has a way of causing us to think the absolute worst. Because what it does is it tries to prepare us for doom. It tries to prepare us for destruction. So it puts us into a defensive state. And now we think the worst so that when the worst happens, we can be prepared for it. And so now he begins to think that God is going to destroy him. He begins to think that God is going to kill him. But God says, in the day you eat of it, you will die. Not because God is going to kill you, but because your own sin is what will separate you from God. It's your own sin that now corrupts your human nature. It now corrupts the way you think, the way you reason, the way you uh, uh, communicate, the way you uh, understand things. And because of that sin now, it has, it has completely dominated. Now sin has taken authority of Adam and it begins to control his way of understanding God. And so now, instead of believing God, he completely is in fear. He's trembling. And now the lies begin to circulate in his mind. I'm not good enough. God won't accept me. God is going to push me away. God is going to kill me. And I can just imagine the various lies that are just being produced and manufactured at a rapid rate, all in one moment. So many just coming, so many baby lies just coming out, coming out, coming out. And as Adam stands there waiting to hear what God would say next, the Bible tells us that God says to Adam, because you have done this, the earth, the ground will be cursed. To Eve, because you have done this, 
with sorrow, you're going to give birth. There's going to be pain. And so now we see the first act of pain, the first pronouncement of pain coming into the world. And Adam, we see who was so excited about his bride, was so excited about this woman that God gave to him before he sinned, is now saying, the woman that you gave me, she made me eat it. God, it's not the woman that I wanted. It's the woman that you gave me. She was the woman I wanted while everything was going well. But the moment that she gave me that fruit and I recognized how messed up I am now, she's the woman that you gave me. So you take responsibility for it, God. And as Adam is now speaking to God, he said, I'm rejecting her. And not only is Adam feeling rejection, but now Eve is feeling rejection from her husband. And so now this spirit of rejection is dominating their lives. And they, not only do they feel rejected, but when they look at themselves, they can't bear to see their image anymore. They reject their own selves. I'm naked and I'm ashamed. But as they're looking at themselves, as they hear what God has to say, they recognize that he's not done. And sometimes it's the silent acts of God that speak the loudest. Because after God said everything that he needed to say, he did something that made the difference. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3, if we look down a few more verses, after gave his final judgment. In verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. No words were spoken. But what we see here is that God loved Adam and Eve so much that he was willing to kill an innocent animal to cover their sin. So that when they see themselves, they see innocence. When they see themselves, they see the life of someone who was slaughtered so that they could live. When they see themselves, they recognize, I don't see my imperfection anymore. I see the righteousness of the animal that was killed to cover me. And in this one act where God says nothing with his words but speaks volumes with his hands, with his love. He covers them. And I can just imagine now as God is looking at them, he no longer sees their sin. He no longer sees their shame. But what he sees is the covering of this innocent animal. And as God sends man away from Eden, as he sends them away from that place of pleasure, as they're going now into a a world of pain, They're going with a covering. They're going with a promise. Hallelujah. They're going, hallelujah, with something that is going to minister to them when they're at their lowest points. Because that animal's covering represented Jesus Christ. And so we see how the wound of rejection, what it did is it caused man To withdraw himself. It caused man. 
to, de to look at himself in disgust. It caused man to, to deny even relationships. But we see that God in his love was willing to cover them. And so today as we examine our own lives, as we examine the, own, the wounds that we've experienced, maybe for you it may be your mom or your dad. It may, maybe it was a best friend that hurt you the most. It's different for all of us. But today, I want to ask, is rejection still speaking? Is it still speaking louder than God's love? If rejection is still speaking, and if it's still louder than God's love, then this message is for you. You see, after Adam sinned, and after they ate the fruit, this wound that so severely damaged them brought infections. And how is the wound of rejection infected? Well, what happens is with any wound, if you're pierced sharp enough, the blood comes out. So you lose a portion of life. Whenever we're wounded with rejection, we lose a part of our lives. We lose something precious from our lives. And if that wound is not treated or dressed correctly through the love of God, then what happens is that wound can become infected. And once that wound becomes infected, it shows up in a variety of ways. That wound of rejection can be infected with pride. Because they have hurt me and because I, I've been rejected now, I will never let that happen again. And now pride comes out. And so we begin to cover ourselves with those fig leaves. We begin to, to, to show ourselves to be so perfect. And that perfectionistic spirit takes over us. And perfectionism always comes with a sense of pride. Because when you look at that thing, you feel better about yourself. When you look at your works and what you've done and your accomplishment, you feel good about yourself. And now your self-worth is determined by your works. And so now pride begins to operate as a wound of rejection. You begin to feel that now I am I'm better now. I'm good. And when people speak to you a certain way, you won't accept it. Because I will never let you talk to me like that again. My guard is up against rejection. And so now pride causes us to walk with a spirit of arrogance. And that arrogant spirit now, it, 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 it separates us further from God. Because God says he knows the proud from afar off. And he resists the proud. And so uh, a pride now becomes one of the infections of rejection. And not only is it pride, but then we begin to see that rebellion comes from rejection. Because it was when Cain stood before God with his sacrifice. And Cain understood from his father and mother that the kind of sacrifice that God is looking for is a blood sacrifice. 
But Cain decided with his pride, I'm going to give God what I want to give him. I'm not going to allow him to determine how this relationship goes. I will do what I want to do. And so Cain takes an offering from his own work, from the, from the works of the, of, of the field. And I see him coming to God with his offering and a smile on his face, saying, I, I, I like it, so I know God is going to like it too. But Cain, did you not hear from mommy and daddy that the ground was cursed for our sakes? So why are you bringing something that's cursed back into the presence of God? Don't you know that what was cursed was sent out of the presence of God? It was sent out of the garden. When Adam was cursed, he was sent out. But now he's deciding, I want to bring something that's cursed back into his presence. What cursed thing are we bringing into the presence of God today? What has God cursed? What has God said? I don't want this. But yet we are bringing it into his presence. Is it a spirit of hypocrisy? Because rejection will also breed hypocrisy. And so uh, Cain is standing before God with his offering. And God is looking at his offering and examining the offering. God says, this offering I cannot accept. And because God rejects the offering, Cain feels rejected. And now Cain, in his state of rejection, looks over because rejection will also cause competition and jealousy. Because when you don't feel good enough, and you see someone else being accepted, that causes you to feel a sense of jealousy. And so Cain now shifts his focus from what he needs to focus on, which is, let me find the right offering. But now he shifts his focus to his brother Abel, who brings the right offering. And God had respect, and he accepted Cain's, uh, uh, Abel's offering. And now Cain is looking at Abel, who did nothing to him. And he's saying in his mind, I want to kill him. Rejection will also bring hatred. Rejection will also bring thoughts of wanting to destroy and hurt other people. And so now he's looking at Abel and saying, your days are numbered. Once we leave the presence of God and we get back home, you're going to die. And so Cain now rises up against his brother. He takes a stone and he, he starts to pound him. I can just imagine him beating and beating and beating him until the blood was gushing from Abel's head until he could no longer even think, until he could no longer breathe. I could just see him pounding and pounding and pounding until his brother was dead in his own hands. And because he felt rejected and did not deal with that wound correctly, the wound begins to pus. We begin to see that infection bleed out. And Cain now becomes the first murderer in humanity. And as his hands are not only cursed, now they're filled with blood. We see Cain standing before God again. God comes just like he came, knocking on Adam's door. He comes to Cain and says, Cain, I hear blood. I hear something crying out from the earth. 
what have you done? And Cain, with that wound of rejection, God, when he's asking, what have you done? It is now a chance for Cain to acknowledge his sins and say, Lord, help me, forgive me. It is now the the chance for him to be forgiven and healed from that rejection. But instead of acknowledging his sins, he covers it. And the Bible says, cursed is everyone who covers his sins. Instead of uh, uh, revealing it to God, he conceals his sins. And it only brings further destruction. And that wound of rejection would cause him to feel that because his offering was not accepted, he's not accepted. Has that ever happened to you before? Where someone's rejected an idea of yours. Where someone's rejected something that you've said or something that you've done. And you felt that you were rejected. You felt that not only what I did was a failure, but I'm a failure. Have you ever sat in that position where you felt that because somebody said something about you, that you are now a complete failure? Well, God was not condemning Cain to death. He was simply saying, what you have given me is not what I have required. But even after Cain sinned. Even after Cain killed his own brother, God still had mercy on him. God still allowed Cain to live. God still allowed Cain to exist, to to live in this land. And we see that while this wound of rejection is continuously manufacturing other problems in our life God is looking to see how can I correct that issue how can I deliver this one from that pain and we see that as time progresses rejection continues in the human race even Moses the great deliverer was rejected And because he felt rejection, he went into hiding. When Moses was rejected by his people, the first inclination, the first instinct was to run. Because rejection always brings a spirit of fear. And that spirit of fear now is what causes us to run, is what causes us to hide. And so now Moses, the deliverer, is in hiding. He's completely in isolation. He's withdrawn himself from his people because of that rejection. And rejection will cause you to withdraw yourself from those who would truly be the ones that God has sent you to heal. And now Moses is hiding. And God had to meet Moses on the mountain. Moses had left the palace and is now tending to sheep. And as he's tending to the sheep, God meets him on the mountain and speaks to him. And God says, now, I I realize, Moses, that you're in hiding. I see that you were rejected. I see that because of what happened now, you're in this predicament. But I have a promise over your life. And that promise cannot die. Although you feel as though you're not good enough. Although you feel as though no one will ever accept you, I still have a plan for your life. 
And someone needs to understand that the plan that God has for your life is eternal. It is something that is indestructible. And so no matter what you're going through, that plan that God has for your life must come to pass. And so God meets Moses on the mountain and he says, I am sending you back to Egypt. But God, that's where I was rejected. He says, yes, I'm sending you back to the place where you were rejected. I'm sending you back with a message of acceptance. I'm sending you back to heal those who rejected you. Even though they were the ones that pushed you away, I'm sending you back to bring them a message of hope. And so Moses brings all the excuses because rejection comes with many excuses. Well, I, I'm not good enough. I can't, I can't do that. That's for other people. Well, someone else in the church can, can preach. Someone else in the church can pray. But I, I, I'm not really good enough to do all of that. So I'm just going to sit in my corner and be comfortable. And that's all the work of rejection causes you to withdraw, to hide, and to bury the gifts that God has given you will cause you to feel that you don't measure up. And so everywhere you go, you're like a walking ruler. You're like a walking measuring stick because you're measuring yourself against everyone else. And if you hear someone sing, you measure yourself to say, well, ah, she sings better than me. So I'm going to stop singing. And so now your gift gets put on the back bench because of the measuring stick that you're using to measure someone else who God has not created you to be like. And so now you're walking around measuring and you never feel like you can measure up. And because you don't feel like you can measure up, what you do is you look for someone and somewhere where you can settle. Because if you find somewhere you can settle, then you won't feel as bad about your failure. And so then you get even into relationships with men who you think that are just as bad as your father was or worse. You look for men that put their hands on you because then you feel like, yeah, that's what I am good enough for. I'm good enough for more rejection. And so you go searching it out. And when someone good comes, you push them away because the measuring stick says, no, they are not here for me. They're too good for me. I can't accept it. You push them away just like Adam went into hiding. I know God is going to torment me, so I'm going to hide now. And now the measuring stick is out again. And you say, you know what? I'm just going to settle here. Even though I know that this is not, this cannot be God's will for me. I'm just going to settle in this relationship. I'm just going to take what I can get. Every time you hear that message. Look for rejection. I'll just take what I can get. God has not called you to just take what you can get. But he wants you to take what he gives. And he gives to you the best gift. He gives to you the best offer. But rejection diminishes your self-worth. It makes you think that I am nothing. And so you try to blend in with people who you feel are nothing as well. You try and blend in situations. You put yourself into situations where you can just settle. And God is calling someone to come out of their settlement. Come out of that comfort zone. Because it's in that comfort zone that things are getting worse. 
You're beginning to think that nothing is going to work. You lose hope in that place of comfort. You lose the, 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 the focus of life in that place of comfort. And that's where depression sets in. That's where the hopelessness and the helplessness sets in. You begin to feel there's no point to life. And once you get to the place where there's no purpose for life, then why am I here? You begin to find ways to destroy yourself. Self-destructive behaviors. You know them. For some, just keep drinking. Try to drink my sorrows away. And I know that when I wake up the next day, I'm having a hangover. I know the next day I feel like, like garbage. I, I know this is killing my body. My liver is, is being hardened. I understand that. But I don't feel good enough to do any better. And life is not going to change, so I'm just going to keep on doing it. And that rejection now causes the hopelessness. It brings addictions, those self-destructive behaviors. For some of us, it may not be drinking. It may not be smoking. But it may be more internal. The things we tell ourselves, where we tell ourselves, you know that no one is going to want you. So just stop trying. Don't even put yourself together. For a woman, why, why am I even dressing up? I know no one wants me, so I just let myself go. For a man, I know, I know they're not going to call on me. I know that that's not going to happen. So let me just focus on my own self. And so the self-destructive behaviors, they come rapidly. And God is watching. God is looking. And he sees us destroying our own selves. He sees us plunging further and further into destruction. Hallelujah. Sometimes we don't even know that we're destroying ourselves. It's become the norm. So we get up, we go to work, we come home, and we eat all kinds of different foods. They call it comfort food. But those foods are foods of destruction. And we know it just, it feels good, but then we see the weight coming on. We know it feels good, but then we see the, uh, the, the, the change that it's making, taking in our mood. We see we're more lethargic. We see we're more irritated. But it's self-destruction. And it's hiding and masking itself in all of these things that seem okay. It seems okay to post pictures of myself. Pictures that I know are not acceptable by God. Pictures that I know Jesus would not want me to hand to him. But maybe if I do that, someone will notice me. Maybe if I do that, someone will, 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 will take some give me some attention. And that wound of rejection is, is often looking for attention in the wrong places. Looking for attention where there is destruction. And so God is calling us. Saying, will you come back to me, Adam? 
Will you come back to me, Eve? The things that are destroying you are causing me so much pain. I want to heal those areas of your life. Some of us, it's a self-righteousness that comes from the wound of rejection. So we come to church and we worship and we pray and we fast and we say such wonderful things about God and his works in our life. But when we take off that mask, when we lay in our bed at night, even beside our husband or our wives, we take off that mask for a moment and all those thoughts start flowing in. You're no good. Look at what you did when you were 16 years old. Look at all those people that turned their back on you. Why did they turn their back on you? Why was your dad never there? Why did your dad leave you? And you begin to think, he left me because I was not good enough. He left me because I didn't measure up. And although that's not the reason, although that is not the case, rejection is speaking, it's preaching those lies strong into our spirit. And so when we can't take it anymore, we put the mask back on. We wake up. How are you doing, babes? I'm good. Everything's fine. Go to work. Everything's great. Get into church. Hallelujah. Anyhow. But the self-righteousness is eating away. It's eating away. Because it's, it's separating us further from God. Because God says, as long as you don't acknowledge the pain, as long as you don't acknowledge the rejection, as long as you don't acknowledge the hurt, I can't heal you. God says, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. Adam, where are you? I'm lost, Jesus. I'm lost in the garden. I, this was a familiar place, but now I'm lost. Everything looks different. I'm lost in my own body. I don't even recognize myself. I look in the mirror and I hate what I see. I look at my face and I hate my image. God, I'm lost. I can't see you anymore. I can't see your love anymore. God, I don't feel like I matter to you anymore. God, I'm lost. Oh God, I need your help. Oh God, I need you. I'm lost. Someone who feels lost today. Someone who feels as though they've been stranded. As though the people who should have taken care and who should have loved them the most are the ones that hurt them. The deeper the wound is the deeper the pain. And the closer the relationship is the deeper the wound. And sometimes it's those people who we were expecting. It's not so much of a problem when some stranger rejects us. It's not maybe as big when we don't get a job that we were looking for. But how do you deal with it when it's your own mother and father? How do you deal with it when it's your own sibling, when it's your own flesh and blood that has rejected you? How do you deal with it when it's someone who should have been taking care, who should have been nurturing you, who should have been there for you in all of those precious moments? How do you deal with it when it's that person who has rejected you the most? Hallelujah. How do you deal with it when it's them that turned their back on you? 
when your expectation was that they would be there, but then they turn their back, how do you deal with it? And it's in that place. It was in that place. The Bible tells us of Hagar, who was a concubine, who was a servant for Abraham. Abraham had his own wife. And everything was going well until Sarah, his wife, said, Listen, I'm getting too old and I can't produce a child. God has locked my womb. It's not going to happen. And I cannot give you what you want. I'm ashamed and an embarrassment and I have no other solution. And so that rejection now begins to look for other ways to make the plans of God come true. And so now rejection tells Abraham, Abraham, take that other woman, take Hagar, the woman from Egypt, take her and have relations with her. And maybe if you can just have a son with her, then we can parent that child. And rejection is saying now, if you have a child with someone else, maybe I can parent that child. And so rejection sends Abraham, the one with the promise. Rejection sends promise into a strange land. Hallelujah. Who has been sent into a strange land today because of your rejection? And God now is looking down and Sarah says, Abraham, go into Hagar. And Abraham, instead of praying and saying, God, is this your will? He listens to his wife in her state of rejection, in her state of frustration. And he has now relations with Hagar. And when Hagar conceives and, and, and Sarah begins to see that a child is growing in her womb, she feels that same way that Cain felt. She feels further rejection. Now she feels that not only can I not produce, but now I'm not good enough. Why enough? Because enough says that there's a measurement. Enough says that there's a standard. And now I'm looking at Hagar and she's the standard to live by. And she says now, now that she's the standard, I can't bear to see her anymore. She begins to treat her cruel. She begins to beat on her. She begins to abuse her verbally because rejection will lead to verbal abuse. Because you're not happy, you begin to make others' life miserable. You begin to speak to other people harshly. And so now rejection is beating on Hagar. Hagar who did nothing but just obey. Hallelujah. Hagar who did nothing but just do what she said to do is now taking all the punishment because of that rejection. And now Hagar, when she can't deal with it anymore, she now feels rejected because rejection begets rejection. And so now she feels rejected. And when she can't deal with the pressure anymore, she runs into the wilderness. She says, I'm not, I can't live here anymore. The pressure from this rejection and abuse is too strong. I'm getting out of this house. And she runs into the wilderness. And the Bible says that as she's there, she's weeping, she's crying, she's broken. She doesn't know where to go. She has nowhere else to go. She has no place to stay because rejection will cause you to be stranded. And she's there crying out, not knowing what to do. But it was in that place of rejection that the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar. And the angel said to Hagar, why are you here? 
Because God always wants you to acknowledge your pain, to acknowledge what's happened so that he can have your consent to speak to you. And so he asks, what happened? And Hagar speaks back to the angel and tells him. And the angel looks at Hagar and says, listen, I understand how you feel. I understand that you're broken. I understand that you're hurt. But there's a promise over your life. Although this was not what you were expected it to be. There's a promise that's growing in your womb. And I want to speak a word to someone today who feels outcast, even by the church. It may be in the past. It may be someone who treated you like you were nothing, who spoke against you because of failed relationships, because of past problems. They may have spoken against you because you didn't measure up in the way you looked, in the way you carried yourself. Maybe it was the family that you came from. And now you feel outcast and you're still in the church, but you're on the outskirts. God says there's still a promise over your life. And that same Hagar who ran away because of rejection is now spoken to with a promise. And the angel of the Lord says there is a promise and God is with you. And God heals that wound of rejection in the wilderness. Someone needs to know it that in your wilderness, in your darkest place, in that place where you feel most alone, where you feel like no one cares, that is where the angel of the Lord, that is where God is going to show up and give you his promise. It is in that place that you need to look up and say, God, where are you? Because in that place, the Lord says that God is close to the brokenhearted. Those who are broken in spirit God is right there look around you'll find him and he sends her back back to the place where she was rejected from but when she goes back, she's going back with a promise. She's not going empty-handed. Somebody today, God wants to heal that broken spirit of rejection in your life. And he wants to send you back to a family that pushed you away. Back to someone that has hurt you. That someone that has destroyed you. Because their healing can come only when you go back. And so Paul writes to us. And he says, can any of this, can any of these things, can, can frustrations, can, can, can death, can any form of problem that we go through, can sickness, can stress, can any of that separate us from the love of God? He answers the rhetorical question and he says, no, God is with you. His love will never, ever separate from you. Paul lists about 17 things and says not even demons can separate you from God himself. Not even Satan himself. The ruler of the underworld, not even him. He cannot separate you from God's love. He tried, but what God did is that God came in the flesh. 
God decided when he looked around and he saw no one else could answer the problem of humanity. No one else could answer this problem of rejection. God himself came in a human body. He put on flesh and blood. He kept planted himself in the womb of a virgin. And when he came out into the world, he submitted himself to his parents until he was at the age of 30, at the time when it was for him to appear to Israel. And when he came out, the Bible says he went to his own. But his own rejected him. He went to the people who he loved the most. He went to them and the Bible says they rejected him. They turned their back on him. When he got there with, with, with hands filled with gifts, gifts of love, gifts of mercy, gifts of grace, they pushed him away and said, we don't want you. Get out of our cities. Get out, out of our synagogues. We don't want to hear your truth because love speaks truth. And oftentimes it's the truth that causes us to feel more rejection. But God wants us to understand that the truth comes to heal us. And so when we hear the truth, what we need to do is say, Lord, let that truth heal me. But they pushed him away. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 that Jesus was a man of rejection. He was rejected. He went through all forms of rejection. Some of his own family members did not accept him. His people rejected him. And at the end, after doing so much miracles, after healing so many lives, after raising the dead, they talked to the high priest. They took counsel. How can we destroy him? But God had a plan all along. And when they said, away with him, they said, give us the thief, give us the criminal, and away with Jesus. At that point, when they rejected Jesus, and they said, crucify him, the, the Bible says they began to beat him. They began to whip him. They began to pierce him with nails until the blood came streaming down as he was hanging there on that cross. Oh God, the rejection held him to the cross. It was wounds of rejection that he was feeling. It was bruises of rejection that he went through. It was the crown of thorns that was a rejection, crushed his skull, all forms of rejection. And as he hung there on that cross, they cried out, all manner of evil things against him and as he's feeling the rejection of man and he's feeling the separation from God Almighty as he's there on the cross bleeding and dying for sins that he did not commit with no appreciation as he's dying there taking his last breath before he died he uttered these words father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing and it was those words that destroyed the spirit of rejection. Hallelujah. At the cross, the spirit of rejection was crucified. It wasn't just Jesus who was crucified. Jesus, the mystery is that he became our sins. 
on that cross. He was the embodiment of all your sins on that cross. He was the embodiment of your rejection on that cross. And so when they nailed him to the cross, they nailed your rejection to the cross. They were brutally beating your rejection on that cross. So that rejection could not recover. And when they took that body of rejection down from the cross and they buried it in the tomb, the Bible says he went down even into the lower parts of the earth. He carried that rejection. He carried that shame. He carried your pain into the lowest parts, into the very hell. And he left those sins there. And when he came up from the grave, three days later, he rose up with all power. He rose up with acceptance. He rose up with love. And now he has come to you with the message of peace, saying, if you believe on me, as the scriptures say, then out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Someone needs to know today that rejection has suffered its own death. We can let go of it. Hallelujah. We can break free. We can hold on to Jesus. We can come to him now with confidence. We can come to him with boldness, knowing that he has taken our sins out the way and he has accepted us. Paul says, in all of these things, we have overwhelming victory through him that loved us. How am I going to make it through my difficult times? Through the love of Jesus. How am I going to get through those pains that what my mother did and what my father did, those times uh, that I was abused, that I was raped? How can I overcome those thoughts? It's with the love of Jesus. You need to understand your worth. What's my worth, preacher? What am I worth if all I feel is, 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 is rejection? Everywhere I go, I just keep getting rejected. What is my worth then? I feel that my worth is nothing. But that's where you're wrong. You are worth dying for. Sometimes we look at people and see, oh, but look how much that person is loved. They were given a car. Their parents bought them that. Their parents were there for them. Their parents did that. But that cannot ever compare to someone dying for you. You are worth dying for. Jesus thought, what does he think? The one who created, created you has the ability and has the right to determine your worth. Not anyone else. Your parents, although God has put them in, as instruments in your life to help guide and, 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 and raise you, they don't have the right to determine your worth. It is the one who created it. When someone markets, creates a product, they decide what they're going to sell it for. God has created you before this world was formed. He had you in mind and now he's created you and he gives you your worth. And when he looks down on you, he says, you are worth dying for. You are worth the blood of the living God. The living God has shed his blood for you because that's what you are worth to him. You're far more worthy than any riches, than any gold or silver. The blood of Jesus determines your worth. Someone needs to say, I was the blood of Jesus' purpose. The purpose of Jesus' blood was to save you. And so today, 
I want to encourage someone that God's love can never be broken. They tried to bury his love. They tried to kill his love. They told him, come down off the cross. But he looks there and says, it doesn't matter. Even in his harshest trial, they tried to give him a cup. The Bible says with vinegar mixed with gall. That, that is literally a narcotic. They tried to give him something to calm the, and soothe the pain a bit. It was a painkiller. When he tasted it, he said, I don't even want that. Because I want to feel the pain for this love. This love comes with pain and agony. This is the kind of love that I have for you, my daughter. This is the kind of love that I have for you, my son. Someone needs to know that it was that same love that hung on the tree. And when they tried to kill that love, three days later, that love rose back up and says, you can't kill me. This love is too strong. I have someone that I got to save. I come to save you. I can't afford for you to die in that state of rejection and feel like you're nothing when my blood is the value of your life. No, I'm coming to save you today. There's someone who needs to know that Jesus Christ has come to set you free from every addiction, from every bondage, from every pain, from every suicidal thought. Oh God, the spirit of depression, he comes to break that spirit over your life. He says, oh, all you who are weary, all you who are tired of life, it's so heavy. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my burden. My burden is easy. It's light. I want you to take it. My spirit, hallelujah, it will give you strength, hallelujah, that when you go through your hard times, they will not separate you from my love. That when you go through difficulties, when you go through challenges, you won't think that God doesn't love me. No, it shows us the love of God is being perfected because whenever there is test, whenever there is trials, that is where there is development. That is where there's growth. When they refine the gold, they put the fire onto that gold to remove the impurities. God wants to take away your impurity. He wants to take away all the sins. He wants to take away the prejudice. He wants to take away the stereotypes. He wants to take away the lies and he wants to refine you to be like him. We find our acceptance in Jesus. Someone needs to know today as I close that it is Jesus that has caused us to be accepted. And I close with this verse in John chapter 6 and verse 37. He says, Verse 36 and 37. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. Let that word echo in your spirit. I will never reject you. If you come to God today, if you come by faith saying, Lord, I believe, God says, I will never reject you. No matter what you go through in life, you are always accepted by Jesus. 
And so today, if you have not yet received this love, it's only this love that will bring you from time into eternity. It's only this love that will shield you from rejection. If you haven't received it today, I present and give you the love of God. The love that will never be separated because it's covered by a covenant. He says, I will never leave you. God's love is what you're missing today. And God's love is here. Take it. It's free. In Jesus' name.